from the host that brought you to Coding Westworld. And Westworld the Recapables. Comes the Ringer Prestige TV podcast on Westworld. I'm Joanna Robinson. I'm Danny Heifetz. And I'm David Shoemaker. Welcome to Westworld Season 4 and the Prestige TV podcast feed, where we're going to break down every episode of Westworld Season 4. Every Monday, the day after the show comes out on the Prestige TV podcast feed. Wherever you get your podcasts, but get them on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, it is Monday, June 27th. Producer Craig, we are coming up on the mid-year point. July 1st is right around the corner. I can't believe we're halfway through 2022. Uh, are you satisfied with your 2022? So far, yeah. I, you know, I think uh, compared to the last two years, it's been okay. <laughs> I can't imagine being in my 20s during COVID. Like, it must have just sucked. Yeah, I, I will say it was better for me. I, the people who I feel the worst for are the kids who were, like, graduating high school and college. That was miserable. Right. Yeah, like these kids who like were sent home and like their, you know, their senior year of college is like living with their parents. Oh, that's awful. All right. So today we are doing the half year Hollywood Awards. Uh, everyone in Hollywood loves a good award show. And we're actually kind of in the middle of uh, the, the award show, the award season drought. The deadline for Emmy voting is today. But in the meantime, we're doing our own award show today with Lucas Shaw of Bloomberg. And we're going to pick some of the categories from this year that deserve recognition, everything from who won and lost the year to the biggest publicist fail and who might win the next six months. So no call sheet today. We're going straight to the awards. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw of Bloomberg. So we're going to get right into it. Who won the first half of the year? My first pick, Tom Cruise got to be Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, it's it's the obvious choice. Uh, a billion I'm nothing dollars, if not obvious. A, a billion dollars for a movie. I mean, I remember talking with an executive at Paramount, uh, I don't know, four or five months ago, and they threw that out as like a pie in the sky number that I don't think anybody at the company thought they'd actually hit. And as of this morning, they they hit it. It's It's kind of amazing. The question is really how high it will go. Like, we don't know. This could be the thing that plays all summer and ends up with like 1.5. My my official prediction is 1.2 something. But I mean, it's biggest grosser of his career likely will be Paramount's highest grossing movie ever, not adjusted for inflation and not including Titanic, which it co-released with Fox. But just a stunning, like, whatever you want to call it, flex, you know, put foot in the sand, whatever, like Tom Cruise, movie star, this is all him. This is not any, you know, franchise that was that meaningful. I mean, it's a 36-year-old movie, so you got to go with Tom Cruise. Um, I'm actually curious what your pick is if you didn't go with Tom Cruise. 
When we initially conceived this, we had two different categories that overlapped. And had we stuck with that, I would have done Tom Cruise in one and then this in this one. My my winner of the first half of the year, because I am a business reporter, is all of the bankers and lawyers who brokered a truly record-breaking sequence of deals in the first half of the year. Microsoft's buying Activision, Amazon buying MGM, on that, all the music stuff. Uh, they they got all the money and all the fees in before the recession or looming recession hit them. Uh, and since I anticipated Tom Cruise would be your answer, I may have conceived this as as my alternative. Wow. So you're really that guy. You were the guy that picks the lawyers and the bankers <laughs> as the winners of the first half of the year. The guys buying Montauk houses and time on their private jet. That's what you want. As opposed to to Tom Cruise, the guy crashing a uh, one of Larry Ellison's cars on his private island. I don't know. Is, is there true. a huge difference? And half of Tom Cruise's money probably goes to Scientology anyway. So um, that that is not a statement of fact. If you are a Scientologist and listening, that is conjecture, opinion. Um, all right. So we got through who won the first half. Actually, I had some runners up. I honestly thought like Tom Holland maybe might have been a good runner up, you know, not just for the Spider-Man movie doing 1.9 billion, but he actually got that Uncharted movie, which by all accounts was pretty bad to about 400 million worldwide um, back when the pandemic was still raging a little bit more or even Zendaya. Zendaya had not just the Spider-Man movie, but Euphoria got up to about 14 million viewers. And I know that's not just her, but she is kind of the face of that show. And Dune. And Dune. Yeah, Dune as well. Dune uh, got into the awards race as well, although she's in it for about seven minutes. Um, she's in the second one a lot more. My runner-up, my third, my second runner-up was Camille Vasquez, the Johnny Depp lawyer, who will absolutely have a fantastic television career after her performance in court, just eviscerating Amber Heard. So uh, she's, uh, she's my second runner-up. All right, let's go to loser of the first half. Um, I'll let you take the first round uh, of this one. My, my loser of the first half uh, is Jeff Morrell, uh, short-lived, <laughs> short, short-lived Disney PR guy. Was there a worse self-inflicted wound this year than 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 Disney in Florida? I mean, the company is executing well. The theme parks are setting records. Disney Plus is the fastest-growing streaming service, and yet the company. Uh, was in had one bad headline after another. The stock is down. You can't all attribute it to to Jeff Morrell, of course, but that initial uh, that initial email that was sent out to employees basically set the stage for a pretty brutal several months for Bob Chapek. Yeah, and for those who don't know, this guy was a communications executive hired at Disney from BP, the oil and gas giant. He lasted about three and a half months before he said it wasn't a good fit and stepped down. Um, no doubt under pressure. And yeah, the whole Florida strategy, all of the PR debacles that they are still digging themselves out of. I mean, I actually had this guy later in the publicist fail category, but uh, you know what? He does, I think, rise to the loser of the first half award. Um, my pick is actually going to be a little bit more obvious, and it's got to be Will Smith, right? I mean, some, t- t- talk about someone who was arguably at the apex of his amazing career. You know, Box Office King had never won an Oscar. He was about to win it for a movie that was very well-reviewed and liked, and he just kind of implodes the whole thing. So without ruining anything, so I'll just say that in these two categories, we basically flipped our our answers. Okay. Yeah, and I want we can get into discussing the whole PR of it all, but I actually would not just include Will Smith. I would say the Academy is the loser of the first <laughs> half. I would say... 
you know, everybody that congratulated him after, you know, he won his Oscar, I would say the organizers of the Vandy Fair party for letting him in after what happened, all those people who gave him the standing ovation in the room. There's a lot of losers associated with the Will Smith debacle, uh, but we'll get into that later. A lot of love to spread around. Yeah. Did you have a backup? Did you have a, a runner up? No. I mean, the only other one is, was Netflix just because the stock was at $600 almost on January 1st and it's at what, 190 today? That's a that's a pretty stunning drop. You, yeah. you got to say they're a loser. Yeah, the, I mean, a hundred percent. Other except there are so many companies who have suffered steep drops like that. I mean, Netflix definitely the worst, but but it's been pretty bad. And and that teases up my answer for best feud, which is uh, not, all right. Go for it. the next category: best feud. Uh, my best feud is Netflix against its marketing department. <laughs> um, this wait, how to- how can it be a feud if if they don't really acknowledge that each other exists? Well, that, because the Netflix's marketing department would like their bosses and their company to spend more money on marketing. The programming team, which technically oversees marketing because of Ted Sarandos, wants to market their titles. And yet the powers that be at Netflix don't believe in traditional marketing. I mean, this was the company that used to be the best at marketing sharp, savvy social media posts. They, I felt like they jumped into any trend well. And now it just feels like they just, with a few exceptions, kind of struggle to get the titles talked about in the way they want them to be. It's so weird because I think what you're talking about in the Netflix success with marketing was more about marketing the service. They did a great job positioning Netflix as the premium alternative to television and something that you needed to have when all these people were being introduced to streaming. And now when they're a more mature company and they have to market individual titles to get people to be interested in individual titles, they just haven't been able to do that. And when they do it, well, they do it well. Like I will give them credit for Red Notice. That was a a really, in my opinion, not great movie with big stars. They marketed it individually and got people to see it. Um, but for rank and file Netflix titles, they just don't do a good job. It's not a priority. It's not how the company's been structured. It's been about getting people in. But yeah, I think that's been, you know, one of the 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 actually less covered messes in Hollywood over the past many years that sort of exploded a little bit this year with because they fired their CMO and and stuff and they restructured the whole division and fired a bunch of people of color and it just got very messy very quickly. And that CMO Bozemo. St. John was like busy creating her profile as an influencer rather than marketing, or if you believe the insiders there. Okay, so what's what's your pick? My pick for Best Feud, it's got to be Jerry West versus Winning Time. Remember this? Remember when the former head coach and general manager of the Lakers, legendary figure in the NBA, threatened to sue the HBO show Winning Time because he did not like his depiction and he wanted HBO to, quote, retract the episodes of him in it. Um, that To me, that happened in April. It's got to be the feud of the first year. So silly, so yeah. ridiculous. Of course, it went nowhere. He, you know, The show aired. It, but it does bring up this larger question that we are dealing with now where a lot of these ripped-from-the-headlines shows that are coming on streaming, they these people are alive. Like, they are out there. <laughs> they are watching themselves. We saw the guy from The Staircase is now pissed off at that adaptation on HBO. Um, I don't know what Elizabeth Holmes thinks of the dropout um, or, you know, Adam Newman. She, and, she's got and the bigger issues show. to worry about. She, she does. Yes, that's true. They all should. I mean, this, these are shows. And we've had a, a court decision in the last few years with Olivia de Havilland where she didn't like her portrayal on the FX show Feud. She lost. Like, they, you cannot. And it's a very, very slim lane you have if a show 
is going to depict you in a false way that actually causes you damages. And as nasty as Jerry West seems in winning time, does not, in my opinion, get to that level. Yeah, I I got to be honest. I thought that I I thought that that was one of the dumbest complaints. Both because yes, there was no way he was going to win, but also it doesn't actually make him look that bad. Like I came away, I came out of that show feeling somewhat sympathetic towards Jerry West, and yeah, I. I the, the whole thing and obviously me. hbo loves this it's free advertising oh it 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 gave the show a bunch of extra life i mean you know Ar- arn tellum who's this big sports agent turned uh kind of team general manager like him calling them out in the hollywood reporter was mm-hmm. was great for them and and obviously i mean the root of this is all of these lakers players just wanted to be paid you know this is their story and this was something that they didn't control they did not profit from and they're pissed about it. And I guess I, I understand, but now they all have their own projects that they're you know bringing to Hulu or Netflix or elsewhere, so they'll be fine. Yeah, and it's also, it's not like the book author got paid that much money for this. Like the people who get ma- who make all the money are the producers and the stars of the show. Although I think, isn't, isn't Jeff the author? Isn't he a producer? I don't know what his deal is, but. Yeah. All right, next award, the biggest head scratcher deal of the year. This is gonna be predictable. I bet you thought I would do this. But my pick for head scratcher deal is AMC Entertainment buying a gold mine in Nevada. AMC, <laughs> a movie theater chain, purchased a major stake in Highcroft Mining, a Nevada gold and silver mine. What might a movie theater company uh, have to do with a gold mine in the middle of nowhere? That's a good question for the CEO, Adam Aaron. He <laughs> decided to pay $28 million for 22%. And it's basically. They're trying to take their skills, if you can call it that, in creating a meme stock around AMC and apply it to another business that is sort of dying and not going going a lot of places. And at least in the short term, it worked. The stock went up. But long term, I mean, this is silly, right? Yeah, I mean, every it feels like everything that that AMC does right now is uh, is for the for the meme lords and for jokes almost whether it's that or like they're moving to making their own popcorn and all that stuff i just uh, he's he he's he's one of those great characters that you just you can't get enough of reading about and yet are also sort of confused by and he's taken so much money out of the company for himself i mean this is a whole separate topic but you know a lot of these things to keep the stock pumped is so that he can have his shares vest and sell them which I think the apes that follow AMC, that, that's what they call themselves, uh, they noticed that and they got a little pissed. That, I mean, the, the the shareholder compensation committee voted against approving his compensation recently. And we'll see if that actually holds its only advisory. Yeah, but, it, 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 it unfortunately seems to have no bearing on, right. uh, on what he gets paid. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll move on. What's your pick for head scratcher deal? Mine is is folding a few different together, but in general, I would just say sports on streaming is my head scratcher deal of the year because these 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 leagues have found a way to maximize profits while making it more confusing and frustrating for the people who actually want to watch these games than it should be. Specifically, I'd say baseball and soccer are the two worst offenders. Baseball did a deal for all these games that nobody's really sure which games and when they're on or why. Soccer. And Apple, right? They Apple have, and but Peacock. They, they have Apple and Peacock. 
for these for these sub games that then black out the games you can watch locally. And soccer, different soccer leagues have split their leagues across like seven different services. So if you're a big soccer fan, you have to be paying for three or four different services. And uh, this is more me as a consumer griping. There just has to be a better way of, of doing this for people to watch things. And I, I think this, you know, we got mad at cable for years for basically screwing the consumer to maximize how much money they're making. And we're seeing, and, and a lot of that was because of the sports leagues. And we're just seeing that transition right into streaming. Yeah, that doesn't bother me, honestly, as much in baseball, just because there are so many games. Like last night, I knew that the Sunday night game was the Dodgers. So I went to ESPN instead of my normal Dodgers channel. And yes, ESPN is part of my cable bundle and I'm used to that. And it, when the game was on Apple on Friday night, it took me a couple extra steps, but it's available for free. So it's really just them trying to get people to go to the Apple TV interface. Uh, Peacock is another story. Like I, I just am probably not going to watch on Peacock, but there are so many games that it doesn't bother me that MLB is trying to diversify like that. Um, the other stuff on just the the soaring price. I mean, the, the, the price paid for cricket in India is just insane. What was that number? $4 billion? Uh, I think it was all in six or seven across Amazing. the different deals. Amazing. And this is where it's at because this sports is the only thing keeping the cable bundle together. So it's just going to get worse and worse and worse until people just bow out. I mean, you saw this Formula One auction that just happened. Netflix was in the mix and they just couldn't do it. They just didn't go up high enough. It's not worth it enough to them. I would just say stay tuned for what happens with the NBA and pray that those rights don't get balkanized as well. Right. Or Sunday ticket. Okay. Biggest flex. I have David Zaslav basically firing the entire HBO Max team. He's the new CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. He came in earlier this year. And he runs a, a pretty middling streaming service, Discovery Plus. And he fired a team that had built one of the three or four largest ones. He kept the programmers, Casey Bloys, who runs programming at HBO, big vote of confidence for him. Channing Dungey runs the TV studio. But he got rid of Jason Kyler, Andy Forsell, and their teams. And basically all these people who have decades, at this point, some of the only people with more than a decade of streaming experience to their name, building Hulu and then building up HBO Max. Uh, and I found it very confusing, but also a sign of his confidence in himself and his team. Yeah, he likes his team. And how much of this also is that the Discovery people, except at the very top, tend to make less money than the old Time Warner people? Um, do you think that's a factor? Maybe, but I, I, I really don't think that's a huge factor with some of these people who are actually newer because they were a lot of them were brought in just in the past couple of years. It wasn't like the H, you know, the the Richard Plepler, David Levy era of Time Warner where executives were getting paid 10, 15, 20 million dollars a year. Um, all right, that's a good one. Uh, I think mine is a little bit more obvious. Um, I got to say Apple winning best picture at the Oscars. In the awards world, which I know is an insular world that gets a lot outsized attention six months of the year, I mean, this is just like a nuclear bomb. I mean, Amazon spent a fortune to be the first streamer to get a Best Picture nomination in 2017 for Manchester by the Sea. Netflix followed. It spent tens of millions of dollars every year on lavish campaigns with one goal, win Best Picture, win Best Picture. Then Coda comes along and Apple pays $25 million at Sundance releases it in the summer. People see it, like it, but it's not really a thing. Then all of a sudden, it just kind of chugs along. There's no front runner for Best Picture. 
The war in Ukraine breaks out. All of the depressing headlines break out. This is a feel-good movie that everyone kind of discovers at, after it wins big at the SAG Awards. Then all of a sudden, we're at the Oscars and it's winning Best Picture. And, I, and Tim Cook and Eddie Q are just like, holy shit, we did what Netflix and Amazon couldn't do. You're reminding me that one of my runner-ups for worst performance of the year or worst flub could have been when Jane Campion's address or comments about the Williams sisters at that award show that that helped torpedo Power the Dog's campaign. You think that mattered? I think Power the Dog was a snoozer. I I, I personally did not did not love the movie and uh, am glad that Coda beat it instead. I I don't think it helped. I think it fed into this perception of of Netflix and the whole campaign around that movie as arrogant. Mm-hmm. That's true. And that comes from the spending. And I don't want to say Apple didn't spend money. They spent a lot of money on Coda and they hired all the consultants and they did a lot of the traditional things that you do when you're campaigning a, a best picture candidate. But get, even with the size of the company and the power that they have, Apple has not come across in Hollywood as an outsider trying to stamp all over the traditional Hollywood business like Netflix has. And I think that does matter when you're talking about these largely traditional Oscar voters who are selecting what movie they want to see win Best Picture. Um, it also has to do with the kind of movie. And if you look back at the history of the Oscars, typically movies that make you feel good about yourself and make you feel good about your position as a creator in Hollywood, those movies tend to do well. And this was that kind of movie. I mean, Power of the Dog kind of made you feel bad. It was bleak. It made you, uh, you know, it, it it made you think much, much less of the people around you right. for the most part. Who's your runner up? I had two for biggest flex. Uh, A24 releasing its biggest movie ever, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, which I think is a pretty astounding feat given the state of the market for theatrical movies and the sense among many people that small adult-oriented you know, non-branded movies can't do well in theaters. This one did. And then the second runner-up for Biggest Flex, perhaps Jason Sudeikis serving his ex, Olivia Wilde, with custody papers on stage at the CinemaCon conference in Las Vegas. That's uh, a good one. I don't think any... I mean, the I was sitting there. No one could understand what was happening. I know he says he didn't know that it was going to happen that way, but you hire the process server. It's sort of on you. And that's a flex. All right, let's get to our next award, the biggest publicist fail so far of 2022. Mine is is letting Will Smith go to the Vanity Fair Oscar party. That was going to uh, be a bad scandal no matter what, but it just made him look like he did not give a shit. And you, if, if you're the publicist, you have to intervene and say, look, I know you want to celebrate. You just slapped someone on national TV. Go home do your apology and try to make this go away. And instead, every apology after that felt like someone was speaking on his behalf instead of him being genuine, which is tough for him because his whole brand is like, I'm pretty, at least recently, and, and his, his memoir and all of that is like, I'm going to be my honest self and tell you how I really feel. And everything, everything that's happened since the Oscars felt pretty contrived. You assume that the publicist, Meredith O'Sullivan Wasson, had control over a client. I, I don't think, I mean, everything I have heard is that they did tell him this is a bad idea. And he and the family said, we have nothing to be ashamed of. We're going. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So you, you think the publicist needs to just fall on the sword and say, I am begging you. So do I not do, do this. whatever you can. 
Yes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's lots of publicist fails associated with that Oscars. The Academy putting out that ridiculous, benign statement the night of the Oscars. Like, we don't we don't endorse this behavior or something like that. It's like, really? Well, you left him up there on stage. You didn't really do anything. And then that whole that whole week and a half of Will Smith coverage, the Academy ends up looking pretty bad. And it was largely a communications situation after the actual incident. Who do you have? Well, I had the Jeff Morrell situation yeah. at Disney, um, which we already discussed. But I had a couple runner-ups that I think could one was pretty small but i think the fox upfront in new york where you know at this big tv event where everyone is looking for you know exciting fall schedule and what you have to say about your network fox gets up there in front of all the ad buyers with a pre-taped presentation even though everybody was asked to be there live to watch it and they didn't even reveal their fall schedule so all the coverage of the fox upfront which is a press event was about what they didn't do so that's a fail. Um, I also think part of the funniest public fail of the of the year so far was the communication staff at Paramount Global. Uh, in January, on an earnings call, they announced a new Star Trek movie, but they forgot to tell the cast of that movie that it was happening. So everybody went to the cast members of the Star Trek movies and were like, oh, you're in this new movie. And they're like, what? We didn't know that was happening. So, and obviously that's not the greatest negotiating position to put your company in where you've announced a movie that you don't have deals with the stars for. So that's a communications fail. Um, and then I have one publicist flex. Can we do that? Sure. Biggest publicist flex. I'm going to say Amanda Lundberg, who is Tom Cruise's publicist. Think about what just happened, right? This guy is a, you know, arguably radioactive personality. Scientology has just been eviscerated over the last decade. He is the face of Scientology. He is, you know, pretty objectively speaking, a weird guy. And yet he does this global press tour for a movie that's grossed a billion dollars, barely a question about Scientology, certainly no meaningful negative headlines. And the fact that they pulled that off and got him in and out of all of these countries, promoting, promoting, promoting like he does without any scandals about Scientology or other things or Surrey Cruz or what happened with Nicole Kidman or any of that stuff is a pretty big publicist flex. One one publicist reached out to me and was like, I bow down to that. It just feels like Tom Cruise and and maybe with uh maybe with his publicist help has sort of mastered the art of the press tour and it this stuff never comes up for him. Uh but you're right that uh that it is remarkable. Okay. Let's move on to stealth killing it. My, I'm taking us into music a little bit, but because Go he has it. a movie coming out this summer, I think it's fitting. So mine is Bad Bunny. Oh, I thought it was going to be Harry Styles. <laughs> Th- this is not news to people who are very online, but I don't think uh-huh. people realize just how popular this guy is. So he had the number one tour in the world for the first half of the year, $120 million, bigger than Elton John, bigger than BTS, bigger than John Mayer. And he's also the most popular act on all streaming services. So there's been new music in the last couple of months from Drake, Beyonce, Kendrick Lamar, Harry Styles. Bad Bunny has more songs in the top 10 on Spotify than all those people combined. Also, he has Freddie Freeman's walk-up song. That too. Selected by his kid. And he's got a movie this summer with Brad Pitt that looks fun to me. I'm not going to see it because Bad Bunny's in it, but I think he's probably going to have a career as a movie star at some point. That's a good one. I like that. You you you've been early. You were early on the Bad Bunny train. You know, he's just Mr. Bunny to me. Mine is a little bit more esoteric. The stealth killing it are 
independent documentary companies. <laughs> if you look at some of these documentary houses like Alex Gibney's Jigsaw, Liz Garbus has Story Syndicate. I mean, this is a boom time for documentary producers. The the demand for these true crime doc series on the streaming services and, you know, the slightly elevated yet still soapy documentaries. It's it's never been a better time to be a documentary producer and I think that we're going to start to see some big sales of these companies in the next six, eight months. It's, and basically one of these deal makers said to me that docs are the new podcasts, you know, where over the last five years we saw the sale of a lot of these companies, including the ringer to big, to big buyers. I think we're going to start to see documentary companies get sold to the big streaming companies. Yeah. I mean, they've been doing really well for the last four or five years during this whole documentary boom. Um, but as the numbers have gotten bigger and bigger, uh, I'm I'm sure if you look down the list of some of the credits these people have, it would be it would be pretty impressive, and I would not be surprised to see Netflix, HBO, whomever buy a few of them to just have them in house because they already signed them to first look deals in the last little bit, which was unusual, but they just like mm-hmm. needed them to 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 kind of maintain consistent supply. Right. All right. Let's move on to most annoying trend. You want me to start? My most annoying trend is upcharges for certain movies in movie theaters. And this started happening. It's happened in the past. You know, uh, a couple theaters did it for Spider-Man, but it really got a lot of attention with the Batman, where the AMC chain said, okay, we're going to charge a couple dollars more for this movie. It's, you know, reflecting demand. And I'm not against variable pricing, actually. I think that variable pricing for movie theaters is probably the answer for the future. But that, to me, means... Different prices, different times of the day, different days of the week, different types of screenings and theaters. If you want a better experience, you pay more. But I think when you start getting into qualitatively judging films and saying, okay, this movie is a $10 movie, this movie is a $6 movie at the same time, then I think you you run into problems where obviously a filmmaker doesn't want their film to be a $6 movie, doesn't want their film to be a $3 movie. So the qualitative upcharges do bother me. It's annoying. Oh, man, I don't agree with you on this one at all. I think that because I I do also support variable pricing, and I don't know, I guess I haven't seen examples of it being qualitative. There's just something obvious to me that if you have a new Batman movie, that's going to be the most in-demand movie that weekend, and you should, we need to start experimenting with, okay, should this one be more expensive? But also, like, right now, like, Top Gun doesn't need to continue to be what it was the first weekend because you might get people who are even more likely to go see it again if it's like, oh, Top Gun's only $7 today. Uh, so I, I support experiments in pricing. I get why it's annoying. Uh, and I probably would complain about it if they did it with a movie I really wanted to see. I did not watch the Batman in theaters and I waited till it was on HBO Max. Yeah, I but but again, like I think that you can do that and have like Top Gun Tuesdays or whatever, like do it on a Tuesday. I just think, when you're going to a movie on a Friday night and all of a sudden the movie that you've seen advertised is like three or four dollars more expensive, that's a that's a that's a bitch. Mine is a is a tie between the metaverse and web three, two of the most irritating trends in tech and media and all coverage. Uh this belief that these we can't first of all, we can't even define what the metaverse is. There are aspects of it that are already here and ubiquitous, like gaming and experiences within games. 
There are aspects of it that are far away. All the media companies think they need an answer for both of these trends. All of the venture capitalists think that they're the future. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, probably one of the most despised corporate CEOs right now, is the biggest champion of the metaverse. I can go on and on. All I can say is I've heard enough about these and gotten enough questions about them over the last many months. And I think we can all just take a break on talking about it until we can define exactly what it is or have any real world examples that are quite successful. The Facebook thing is pretty amazing because they have successfully used the metaverse to direct the conversation away from all of the awful things that Facebook has done and was under scrutiny for. I mean, if you think back to you know, the whole Wall Street Journal series, the Facebook files and all the stuff around you know, user data and, and Cambridge Analytica and all that stuff, that's all gone away. And it's been kind of replaced by this conversation of will the metaverse work? And I think that's deliberate. They, they knew, I mean, they, they changed the name of the freaking company. Like it's, it's almost like they pulled a Philip Morris on everybody and said, yeah, we have this awful addicting product, but call it something else. Now we're Altria now. So I, I just feel like it, it's all hype until it's not. Yeah, that was definitely Facebook. It felt like Facebook's intent. I don't know how well it worked because they've are, they've had to go back and forth about how much they're even willing to invest in metaverse because of where their stock's at and concerns about the the performance of the company. Um, but yes, it, it, it was a, a very transparent rebranding. All right, let's move on to our final category here. Who will win the next six months? Who's yours? Mine is Casey Bloys at HBO. <laughs> I be, because I think that HBO is going to win this war between House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones spinoff, and Lord of the Rings, the Amazon billion-dollar TV show, which are coming out within weeks of each other this fall. And I just feel like HBO has decades of doing this. They know the stakes are incredibly high. This is the most popular show in the history of HBO, and it is now having its first spinoff. They want multiple spinoffs, and if this first one fails, it's going to be more difficult. They've put a lot of money into this. They scrapped their initial effort to do a prequel. And I just feel like HBO behind this, with everything they do, it's not going to be what people expect, but it's ultimately going to be better and longer lasting. So I think Casey Boys at HBO. I think you could be right that that, that they win that that micro battle, which is a weird, maybe a weird phrase for it because it's these these very expensive shows coming out at the same time. The mm. only reason I'd be reluctant to pick Casey for it is because he does now have to deal with corporate overlords who are really conscious about spending. For all the fuss under AT&T, like, they mostly left him alone and let him spend the money that he wanted to spend. It feels based on just what what I'm hearing. I'm sure you're hearing some of the same things and some of the coverage around certain deals and titles that there's way more scrutiny of spending on everything from like awards budgets to overall deals to development projects. And that's not fun if you're the head of programming having to like cu cut a bunch of shows or go and tell talent we don't have money for X, Y, or Z. I'm sure it won't be, you know, they're, they're not going to completely clamp down because there's a reason that they kept them. They David Zaslav knows that Casey Bloyds is good at programming, but I feel like it's 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 maybe not going to be as as fun as it has been. I think that's probably right. Um, obviously, we would not see the results of that cost cutting for a year or two in the programming, so it wouldn't impact what we see in the next six months. But there could be some noise around people at HBO being disgruntled over some budget constraints. If there's one thing that David Zaslav knows is working, though, I think it's HBO programming. 
I mean, if you talk to the guy, he goes on and on and he knows that the hit ratio for HBO is as high as it is for any of these services. So if there's a sacred cow or a favored child or however you want to put it, I would say HBO. Yeah. Especially the scripted stuff. Who knows what's going to happen with the unscripted? I mean, I've we both read the reports on, you know, maybe the Discovery people will take the lead on that stuff. But the scripted stuff, I mean, that is HBO's brand and what it does well. Yeah. All right, your pick. I went back and forth on this. So I think my my first answer, which is the one that you could literally do every year, is the NFL. They're about to get paid a ton of money oh, by Apple. Oh, that's a cop out. Come on. The NFL wins every year. Okay, then then I will uh I'll I'll go back to my my music and to our and reference a past episode, which is Harry Styles is gonna have a great back half of the year. He's he's got his new movie, he's gonna be touring in the US. I think that his star will probably never be higher than it's going to be around September or October of this year. Is that a Grammys album? Is that going to get a Grammy Grammy attention? He'll get nominated, but I don't I know so. that. It, I don't know that he'll. I don't know that he'll win. Um, all right, my runner-up was actually Ryan Coogler because I think that the Black Panther movie, the Black Panther sequel, will be gigantic if it actually comes out this fall as planned. I know they had some COVID issues. But I just think the goodwill around Chadwick Boseman, it's gonna, we're going to have a Fast 7 impact here. Remember when Fast and Furious 7 came out and the sentiment around Paul Walker's death really, like, people wanted. It was kind of a cathartic thing to go to that movie. I think we're going to see that with this uh, Black Panther sequel. And if it's good, it could be one of those movies that plays and plays all summer. Or, sorry, all fall. And if that happens, then Bob Chapek can wrap himself in the movie. And all will be right with the world. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see what happens there. You don't have any backups? Uh, no. I tried to think about something around like theme parks or live music or things that I thought would be doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I do not. All right. That's it. That is the half year Hollywood Awards. Lucas, thanks for dressing up in a tuxedo this morning to do this. Uh, we will do this again at the end of the year. Hopefully, we uh, will have more to report on. It's been a crazy news cycle this first half of the year. So hopefully, it'll continue that way. Looking forward to it. 